0: Pod, pod. Hello, and welcome to Pod Pod, the podcast all about the craft and business of podcasting. I'm Pod Pod editor Adam Shepherd, filling in for Rihanna Dillon, and this week we're talking all about using podcasts as a brand marketing tool. And I'm joined by Matt Hill, founder of Rethink Audio. Yep. Good to see you, Rihanna, And Gideon Spanier, editor-in-chief of Campaign. Thank you both for joining me. Hey. Now, Gideon, you've had a busy few weeks, I think it's fair to say. Just last week, you picked up a PPA award for Business Media Brand of the Year for Campaign. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And the week before that, you were in Cannes for the annual Festival of Creativity. Can
1: you tell us a little bit about the role of audio advertising at this year's Cannes? Well, for sure. I mean, I think the thing to understand about the Cannes Lions is it's a five-day festival for the advertising industry. It takes place in the south of France. It's a combination of sort of discussions, talks, and debates, and then awards in the evening. And the key thing about the awards is they, they are entered by brands and agencies from all around the world. So it is a sort of Olympics of advertising. Radio and audio does have a category in its own right, and that was actually on the first day. You get Google, Meta, and so on. One of the biggest was Spotify, and they rented a beach, which they've done for a number of years. And on the Tuesday night, they had Florence and the Machine and Jack Harlow. The next night was the Foo Ficers and ASAP Rocky. So, yeah, this is not small budget stuff, right? And you've got a thousand mm. advertising executives and creatives invited. That hope gives you a flavour. If it sounds like a massive party, you're right. It does sound like
2: that. Yeah, it does sound like a massive party. Yeah.
1: Be- Snapchat had a party on the, on the Monday night. They had Q-tip from A Tribe Called Quest. By the way, if, you, if you're if you going, hmm, all these people seem slightly older. I think it reflects the <laughs> crowd. You know, there's a lot of people <laughs> in their sort of 30s, 40s who they're trying to woo. Oh, it's just starting to feel relevant then, you've really just yeah. my bubble there. Uh, well, just saying.
2: I wonder how far in advance you have to book a beach at Cannes. Because I know, uh, obviously, this year, the narrative has been that Spotify have been sort of scaling back a bit of their presence and sort of consolidating like their originals and maybe sort of cutting off a bit of talent that was quite expensive and wasn't really doing a huge amount of output. Do you think they'll be back at the beach with such a big lineup next year at Cannes? Or do you think this is kind of the last
1: big splash of Spotify cash? Well, I haven't asked them, so I, I would be speculating to say the specific costs of renting a beach, they're probably quite large. It would not surprise me if there was a multi-year commitment. The boss of an, an ag- agency group told me with some satisfaction that he got a great deal in 2009 <laughs> for 10 years. And if you, people might remember 2009 was like the you know banking crash. And he got, he said, some great deal where it meant that he got some sort of fixed rent or whatever it was. Naturally, and, and as an advertising agency person, they can't wait to tell you what a great deal they've screwed out of whoever they've been buying from. Um, <laughs> but uh, he is the kind of person who I believe—I'm uh, not going to say who it is—so <laughs> you can be sure that there's a bit of negotiation, Matt. And it perhaps won't surprise you that someone called Elon Musk has decided that Twitter did not need a beach this year, mm. partly because he's managed to fire or let go of three quarters of his staff. And the entry numbers for the awards were up 6%. So that shows that there, there's enough appetite out there.
0: So let's talk about podcasting specifically. Uh, I was talking to one of your colleagues, Gideon, last week, who was saying that, a lot of Amazon's presence at Can was revolving around Wondery and uh, all of the stuff they've got going on on that side of the business. How much of the activity at Can, whether that's awards talks or you know anything else activations or whatever, how much
1: of it was focused on audio as a medium? Not much. I think that's the honest truth, and it's just because if you think about it from an advertiser's point of view most of what they're doing and this is definitely the large advertisers are the focus you know they are multi-channel multi-market they are really thinking about things that are going to get significant reach and it's not that audio isn't important but it's just not the same Uh, Mm and neil cowling from fresh air was in Cannes, and he as people know writes a a weekly update. And one of the things he said in his update was he wished that there was the kind of money that went into film and cinema ads in audio. Yes. It's quite a good point. What I would say that's interesting is that for campaign itself, we decided for the first time to do a daily podcast from Cannes. And that was a great discipline. So it getting together at the end of the main part of the day at four o'clock and recording a daily podcast, which then was edited actually by our friends at Rethink in the UK and then distributed each evening. No. Yes, fine, <laughs> fine partners. So my point to you is, is that actually I think audio can play an important part. Um, we made quite a lot of podcasts with commercial partners as well. Not so much the UK team, but our colleagues from the US. And, you know, I think audio is a great way to help capture part of CAN. But as part of the advertising mix, it is a small part. Now, if, why don't I tell you about the, the winner of the main radio and audio category, because it was a radio mm. ad. And it came from Auckland, a telecoms company from New Zealand called Skinny. And they um, created a series of ads, which was quite a fun idea. It's a cheap telecoms brand. So they, they put up posters of the radio script outside certain locations. And then the idea was they wanted people to phone in the script. And so the actual ad is someone saying, I'm standing outside... Was a law firm. I'm standing outside an ad agency. There's one out. I'm standing outside an exotic dance club. And then they read the script, and they're, they're quite fun. They are actually quite fun. And what the jury president said was, you know, this was a kind of clever way of actually, it was out in the real world, you know, being in outdoor. And it created this sense that the whole thing was more than just something that was 30 seconds whilst you're listening to the radio. It was quite inspiring in lots of ways, but I think it was that idea that in general, audio should be able to fit into the wider mix, fit into the wider world. Podcasting itself, I would say, did not really get sort of discussed as a creative medium, as a creative canvas. And I'll tell you why I think that is partly because I think that podcasting is still recognized as a very intimate medium. And a lot of this advertising work is about a very high impact, you know, can you get attention? And we all love podcasting. It's why we work on PodPod. But the role of advertising in podcasting, I think, is something that the advertising industry is still itself trying to get to grips with. I think the reason why podcast advertising hasn't
2: quite made its level yet in terms of creativity for Can, is largely down to the fact that actually the skill set for creating an advert is different from creating the rest of the podcast. And yet it is incumbent on the people making the podcast to also make the adverts, hence the kind of hostred style it is closer to what listeners of that show want but it's very difficult to then compare and contrast that with what other people are doing because it is only for that small intimate audience as you've you, euphemistically put it but you know for real creativity to shine you do need to come up with some really innovative ways and then have the ambition to kind of picture it to can as well i think there's that ambition there is the creativity within within the sector but um maybe it the creativity is necessarily matched with the ambition just yet.
0: While podcasts may not be as shiny as things like film and TV, there are some things they're really good at. And one of those things is brand marketing. In this week's episode, Rihanna and Reem spoke to Paul Raymond, who is the PR manager for sports media company Football Co., all about how that company uses the Football Co. business podcast to build relationships with its potential partners. So let's have a listen to that.
3: Paul
4: Raymond, welcome
3: to Podpod. Pod. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm appreciating your air conditioning today.
4: <laughs> as are we. And it's so nice to be back in person mm-hmm. as well. It's been it's the first
3: one in a while. Yeah, it's nice for you to have me. Thank you.
4: We're here to talk all about the Football Co Business Podcast, which launched only about 18 months ago. You've done about 30 episodes so far.
3: Yeah, 30 are out and we've got another few in the can.
4: Okay, so tell us about the the conception of this podcast and how it ties in with Football Co, the business.
3: Basically, it's a branding exercise, predominantly. The idea was in the beginning that it helps to do thought leadership content when you're a, a company like ours. And this might sound like hyperbole with the world's largest football content and media business. So we operate a number of consumer-facing football media brands. Mm-hmm. Our most well-known will probably be Goal. We also own the likes of uh, Cora, which is the um, largest in the Middle East, Spox in Germany, Zone in the Netherlands, Catch Mercato in Italy. And then we have other, what we call community brands, which are smaller ones, which kind of tap into certain markets. So Indivisa is a a women's football brand that we own, which is kind of like from the grassroots up Mm -hmm. and very much kind of like women's football through the non-male lens, as opposed to kind of like the more broader um, football content. And on the other side of the business is we work with brands and rights holders to help them connect with football fans. Okay, That's the commercial side of it as well.
4: Yeah. And uh, the point of doing the podcast
3: the point of the podcast was, to be honest, I, I have an interest, I work in PR, I have an interest myself just in the football industry mm-hmm. from all levels of it. And the genesis of it really was, can we create a podcast which helps to kind of like tell the story, helps position us as a brand and on what we're about. The strap line that kind of came up at the beginning, we still use now, is we speak to the most innovative people working in football media brand and marketing, which... Coincidentally, is also the same area where we work in ourselves and we want to work with more people in that space. Mm. So it was a way for us to um, show how, how smart we are and we have some very smart people working in a company and to also allow us to work with the kind of people who we want to work with in the future as well. And so there is, a, you know, a little bit of a Trojan horse kind of approach to it uh-huh. as well. But at the heart of it has always got to be kind of the editorial um, integrity. We mm-hmm. only speak and cover topics that we know people will want to listen to.
5: The type of people that you're having on, are they reflective of the audience that you're trying to approach as well with the podcast?
3: Yes. Some people are easier to get hold of than others. It's got a lot easier the longer we've got on. I mean, as you you, and I'm sure all your listeners will be aware, it is very hard to launch a podcast. You start from the ground. In the beginning, it was a lot of me kind of going through my own address book to go, right, who can we tap up? Who do I know would be up for this? Mm. We started some actually some of my f- favourite shows. One of the first show we did was with a guy who used to work for Umbro and Puma and designed some of their own kits. And he actually did some of the most innovative kits. He did a kit that was banned by FIFA, which is quite like a unique kind of like case study in itself.
4: Why was it banned?
3: It was the, I'm going to say the Cameroon kit, which didn't feature any sleeves. So they removed the sleeves, and his first job when he joined Puma was to put the sleeves back on, right? which they used some kind of like mesh idea. But okay. there was a whole load of stuff. He designed another kit which got banned, and I forget why. But if you go back to our podcast, go right down to the bottom and yeah. find out why. And the second one was with a guy I've who who known for a few years called Goose Pennings, who used to work for PSV Eindhoven and then moved to Philips. And the Philips company and PSV, they have, have I don't know what everyone's, awareness of football is but PSV started as the team of Philips and quite often people go back and forth but that brand relationship between Philips and PSV and the sponsorship of the shirts was the longest running sponsorship in football so there were some strong starts but that was the kind of topics which we were starting with
5: you mentioned you had the list of people that you wanted to hit and like the type of people that you wanted to speak to the more episodes that you released of the podcast and the more that you kind of like legitimised your position and, and mm. started to build that audience. Did you find it easier to get guests or to hit more of those people that you wanted to hit later
3: on? We did. We got, I'm going to say we kind of got quite lucky, our fifth guest, I might be slightly misremembering this, was Peter Crouch. Nice. So Someone who's obviously got a very strong name within podcasting. Who? himself.
4: Who's Peter Crouch? Yeah. <laughs> what podcast? It was great. But
3: even speaking to Peter Crouch, he was, so the angle with Peter was he had, at the time, we worked with him off the back of um, a show he was doing for... I think it might have been Disney Plus, where he kind of like saved Dulwich Hamlets. We should see me start. Well, one of the first teams he started his playing career with. So we spoke to him about that, which is the media element. But we also spoke to him as well about his time as a player and how social media played a part in that. And he was very honest about how he saw social media as a player when he was kind of approaching the end of his career, and how he sees it now with players at the start of theirs. So it always an angle. So Peter helped in one of our earlier shows is with a um, guy called Luca Danovaro who works at Inter Milan and was responsible for their, relatively new at the time, I Am Inter brand and the redesign of The Crest. and That's always popular stuff. So, yeah, they, they all help. I think, if I'm honest, where we know, we're up episode 30, I think the past few months has been a lot easier to mm-hmm. get people because we've had that background. And I know there's been a few kind of inbounds off the back of it and people going, oh, it'd be good to do the show. And there's more of that list uh, coming up.
4: How do you sort of balance the interviewees between people that, you, you know, brands that you want to work with, who you want to sort of start to create this relationship with versus people who might just be really good interviewees and people to get on? Like, for example, you had Pien Muenenstein on, on your last, yeah. that was on the last episode, uh, I Yeah, think. it's
3: one of the latest ones we've speaking. And now, just yeah. such
4: an interesting episode, such an interesting interview with her as the first female commentator. But I was wondering how that worked for you from a business angle.
3: So, as far as with Peen goes, she's an interesting topic, mm. and we're going to work with people. If you work, it's a very broad church. I'm talking about of people who we work with as a company and mm-hmm. who we want to work with in future. And to say that everybody's interested in the same thing is obviously incorrect, right? We all there's hundreds of thousands of people in the world who work in football and the areas that we work in, but there are areas which you know that will resonate with. Not not everything is going to work, but Peen's story was one which was interesting because also because of her background as well. Her, her Father, we actually tackle this with her. father is Renee Mullenstein, who works with Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. And we wanted to ask Pien about, you know, does it annoy you that your father is is referenced, that we reference him themselves? So there's that angle to it. That might be more of interest to people who are more traditional football fans who kind of work Mm -hmm. in the space. But she also works with a multitude of broadcasters. She's appeared across the zone in their women's football content. And the zone are a minority shareholder in Football Co. as well. So there was always, you know, <laughs> football media is a very kind of like sections business. There was always kind of angles where things kind of work around into each other again.
5: Interesting. I find it interesting that the way, that you've approached guests and the way that your target audience is similar to the type of people you're interviewing. It's kind of similar to like pod pods yeah. journey where the people we are targeting are also podcasters and we're interviewing podcasters. One of our early guests was like, my dad wrote a porno mm-hmm. and that kind of helped us later on. With Pop pod we've kind of gotten to a point where we start to ask some of our audience, like what kind of topics do you want to hear and mm-hmm. try to kind of mm-hmm. cater to them? Is that something that you do with the podcast as well? Are you starting to take input from your fans?
3: We've done... A couple of times. Mm. Sometimes, I'm not going to say like, with um, mixed results, but I put a shout out recently. This was a month or so ago, maybe no, maybe a couple of months ago. And I was saying, I want to get more non-male guests on the show who aren't just talking about women's football. Mm-hmm. Who have you got? i got a whole lot of comments. People kind of DM me. Go, oh, you want to check out this list? Check out that list. So I've got I've got about some of them are suitable, some of them weren't, but I had a backlog for them. And that was quite easy. Most of them are really good. And I did a similar thing about six nine months ago and a few of the responses got back it wasn't the same topic it was basically like, who do you want on what, this is the kind of stuff we're doing who do you want to hear from and a few of the responses were kind of stories which I think we've heard before so one of the mentions was the social team from A.S. Roma who had a who were very famous for being quite novel in their approach a very kind of like relaxed and non-corporate approach to social media for mm-hmm. the club Like okay, that, that story's been told a little bit mm-hmm. and then there's another one about Skyrone's Forest Green Rovers who are, compared to the rest of the football ecosystem, a very very small club, but have a very kind of unique identity in that they're a very kind of they're an ecological club. I might be getting this slightly wrong, but they've got the menu for all the Forest Green Rovers is vegan. There's sustainability at the heart of what they do. Blah blah blah. It's very much their brand. And then I mentioned that to a colleague of mine. I was like, that story's been told a million times. Everyone knows about this, surely. And then I was at a trade event, a panel conversation about a few months ago. And if somebody on the panel, this was a room full of some of the most important people, let's say, working, working in football. And they brought up the Forest Green Rovers example. And they're like, oh, and you all know about Forest Green Rovers, don't you? And it was like shakes of heads. And I, that kind of made me realize. That's like, so interesting. Yeah, maybe we do kind of live in a little bubble sometimes. We don't really kind of appreciate that there's a team which is kind of created, which is, it fits in with what we're doing, kind of a very unique brand which allows them to tap into other brands who kind of want to partner with them because of their own story who maybe we kind of didn't consider at the start because we thought that was a story that had been told you know plenty of times before
4: so have you been a bit less prescriptive with how you approach these stories now then if you think how how, what's your sort of litmus test for if something is really well known now or not Uh,
3: well it's more kind of can we take it in a slightly different angle so if we did for a screen we wouldn't want to go down exactly the same route Mm. again um a show which we've got coming up is with Hashtag United who once I always kind of never know kind of who knows what but there Assume
4: are, we know nothing okay, so, um,
3: Hashtag United started I'm going to say seven years ago something like that as a kind of a YouTube football team um, run by a guy called Spencer Owen um, amassed a huge social following and then a few years later actually became part of the football pyramids and have run themselves as a football club and this is Spencer's work as a YouTube personality and a kind of a, a football personality himself has been kind of like well told. The original hashtag story has been really well told. They were on the TV maybe last season, I think it was, because one of the early FA Cup matches was televised. Right. So that put a spotlight on them. Yeah. The and I was um, talking to their uh, their uh, chief commercial officer, who's also Spencer's brother, said, don't we don't really do the same kind of like Genesis story. We need to cover it a little bit to make sure we you know what's going on. I want to know what it's like running that club now and the realities of being in the seventh level of the footballing pyramid. And what are you doing? What other stuff are you do. They run so many teams. They've got disability teams. They've got a women's team. They're doing great work. So we're covering the hashtag story just in a slightly different way that maybe wasn't covered when they were in the FA Cup last year.
4: You mentioned earlier about this sort of Trojan horse of how you want to get people on that you do want to partner with Mm. commercially how open are these partners to working with you once they've appeared on the podcast is it a real boost does it help
3: yeah it's it's not something where we kind of go oh hey do you remember you're on the podcast let's go and do some business." (laughs) it's maybe not that it's not that necessarily kind of overt it's much another way for us to kind of work with them right and it's um i mean we you guys did a show i think i I forget how many episodes ago now about the the purpose of kind of like b2b podcasts Mm -hmm. and yeah there's no secret of that it helps as a way for us to have relationships, a way for us to sit down with somebody for maybe 45 minutes an hour and have a conversation. Sometimes it's hard to have those conversations if you're you know, in a commercial environment where you kind of being very formal. No, let's just talk about football. Tell us about the work that you're mm. doing. We have a lot of people working in our commercial teams, in our strategy teams, et cetera, to kind of keep everything going. And this plays, it plays a small part. But it plays a part, which I think more people are kind of going to oh, recognise. It would be great to have these personalities. But they, at the end of the day, they've always got to have the editorial value. Mm-hmm. Because if we do a show with somebody, I, I got approached by, it was a Premier League team and they wanted to do a show. Uh, they come on and talk about a project that they had done. It just wasn't very interesting. Mm-hmm. And we could have had them on, but then if that show had absolutely tanked, then the next show that we have coming up would have had less of an audience. Yeah. And we've always got to be relevant for it. But we can also then take that relevance and make sure that it also has... Ways that it can be amplified across some of our other channels. So we did a show relatively recently, one of my favourite ones. I say that. I, was, I also took over the hosting duties, maybe I'm biased, <laughs> with um, I've got David Jackson, who is behind the EAFC brands. Yeah, brand. that
4: was, it was a good episode.
3: Thank you. David, he was fantastic. He, he, the perfect example of somebody who is working in a creative area in football that isn't at a club. Very smart, very interesting story. But we could take some of that content and then that could also live on goal. And there's mm-hmm. also got value across there. They discussed the women's football content. That can live on Indivisa. But once again, I can't just, and I don't just go to our editorial teams and go, right, we're doing a podcast with X. You need to cover it. There needs to be the angle. We did one around the World Cup with Adidas around their kit design. And that was kind of perfectly timed because Adidas designed the kit that Argentina wore and ultimately kind of won the World Cup. So we turn some of that content into a goal story about how they designed the kit that Messi wore to win the World Cup and the story behind the design and the creativity and the technology. All that kind of helps as well.
5: Do you like hosting?
3: I don't mind it. So I do. I enjoy the EA Sports. When I have a bit of a background in gaming, I've, I've been in media about 20 years. Part of that was a journalist. I've read about football. I've been playing FIFA for years. So that helps. When we do the show, as we kind of plan it out, I always do a, kind of, I do a pre-call with whoever the guests are discuss the topics with them, almost kind of like a dry run through. And then I then kind of pass it on to our host and then we work on the questions ourselves and then we actually kind of do the thing for real. So I like doing the research. Our um, host is actually part of, our, part of our team is one of our strategists, um, called Alex Manby and Alex is um, he's very good. So he can do that. But we also kind of share duties. We did one with um, Jane Fernandez who's um, pretty much in charge of, I'm going to maybe slightly give her a role, maybe too much credit, but in charge of basically organising the Women's World Cup in Australia. And for that one, we actually passed hosting duties over to Morgan Brennan. And she runs our of women's brands and is Australian herself. She's met Jane in the past. So we kind of kind of move that around to kind of find the right person internally who can kind of like offer the insight and kind of like work, work really well with the guest.
5: So it's more personalized.
3: Yeah, they got great. I mean, mm. you know, they're, <laughs> they're basically two Australians really enjoying looking ahead to the World Cup. We did it um, 100 days until kickoff. So it's kind of well time for that. So there was the the evergreen angle of kind of how do you do this and then landing at the right time as well.
4: It sounds like communication is so key for what you do, not just with your guests, but obviously within your company mm. and across all of Football Co. So because I've, been, I've worked on so many things where like the left hand does not talk to the right hand. And if you are talking about this sort of international business and the kind of similar strategies, how sort of open is the rest of Football Co to the Football Co Business Podcast? And how much do they see it as, you know, an extension of the company?
3: Very much so. Once again, more so as we've kind of, as we've kind of come on. Mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, there was a bit more of kind of like trying to show you exactly what we were doing. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, we've gone for about 30 episodes now. There are new people in the company who I haven't maybe given the pitch to. This is very quite well timed. They're actually doing a presentation a couple of weeks internally. Oh, okay. To kind of say, right, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. These are some of the examples. We have done two recent shows, which are quite different than the previous ones and are a good kind of like test for like, this is what we can do. But no, you're, you're right. It does require a lot of communication. The EA Sports example are perfect ones. So we got approached through their um, PR agency because they had an activation where you, we were offered, I think, access to talent, which was Ian Wright's Chelsea manager Emma Hayes and to David so because we had access to that I was like right I would take David we would do something with him and mm-hmm. that would be great access and then the rest of the team were like right we do this with him right we do that with Emma Hayes okay. and then when it comes to recently did a, a, it was a very nice trip I went out to um, Turin to record a live show very much like in this setup with Juventus mm-hmm. and for that so I was working with our Italian edition and with our Juventus correspondent who was actually the host for it and they were like whatever you need we can do it we'll support it across these brands and that brands and we would do the translations for it and then I occasionally have messages from from Germany or from the Middle East going oh could we work with this what could we do or could belong these lines so they see it very much as um yeah as being something which they're on board with
4: that Juventus one was there a live audience for that or
3: no we've was... kind of done it twice so Juve we did within let's say, call it the first season we took a a break during like last summer we changed over a few things and we had a bit of a break so we kind of like came back and they were one of the first series that were part of the first series that we did and that was on their um, TikTok and Twitch strategy which they were doing very very good at and their chief marketing officer had a background in some of the areas so they kind of were I was like heading shoulders above some other clubs and that show just done it had done very well considering kind of where it came in our life cycle and then as it happened, they hit some, I don't know what the record was, but they, they hit a very high number in TikTok followers and were celebrating it. So we basically republished or reshared the show. They knew about it. They gave, they gave it a thumb up, gave it kind of some uh, endorsement through LinkedIn. It then done it a little bit better again. And that kind of kicked off the conversation. They're soon launching a um, something they have called the Creators Lab. It's like kind of a, an in-club media house, but there's a bit more to it than that. Basically, Listen to the podcast, find out all about it. And they were just really on board with the show, so they were like come out, we would do it live. They basically kind of helped take care of the production, so they, it was a ridiculous studio setup, like four four K cameras, lighting rigs I've never seen before in my life. And they were just really dedicated to it, and that was kind of a nice little endorsement to go, okay, they see the value in this as well. Yeah. And yeah, that will be going out um, in about a month or so. Bit more, bit more editing work involved in that as opposed to some of our ones when we're kind of doing <laughs> over Riverside with webcams. <laughs> yeah.
5: With Football Co. being international, you were mentioning right before we started recording that you have really good reach in the Middle East and in the mm-hmm. US. How does that come across in the podcast? Do you make sure that you're targeting that audience as well with, say, guests or the content?
3: Yes, to a degree. I mean, there is kind of like, you know, universal appreciation. Like, I mean, take events as an example. They're of interest globally to a lot of people because there are you know, they are historically and maybe not as big names, due to one reason or another, but they are a very, very large team, same with other Premier League teams. So that works in terms of the Middle East. We haven't had a guest on yet, which I think would kind of like really land in the area. But the US for us, that's a very US is a very important area for us for for many reasons, not least the World Cup that they're having in the not too distant future. But in terms of guests, we've had we've had quite a few. We've had um, Austin FC, Atlanta United. We did one with Doug Mark Lowndes, who works for Orlando. But Mark's an interesting one because his story wasn't about what Orlando were doing. Mark's background is very much kind of football as a subculture. He started a company called um, Fly Nowhere and Nowhere FC, uh, which have done work with Adidas, creating shirts, working with Pharrell. Really, really creative guy. So him, we didn't even talk about Orlando. We were like, what was it like 20 years ago in the US with US soccer culture? And he was talking about kind of comparing it to sneaker culture and kind of music culture and all this kind of stuff. And... That was actually one of probably in our top five or six best performing shows of mark. Austin was great. Atlanta was probably one of my favourites. They have a fascinating story. Major League Soccer in itself, I just find fascinating because you have Messi just gone over there. Like I would be, be emailing into Miami and speaking to them trying to see what I can do with them. But story with Atlanta is you have a club there which is relatively new, a few years old, baby in terms of football, in an area which is full of other competing top U.S. sports—I'm going to say franchises. Hate saying franchises, but that's what they use. Um, franchises. Yet yeah, they can get eighty thousand soccer fans in the Mercedes-Benz Arena watching a football game and cheering on Atlanta United. So we spoke to a guy there called Darren Eels, who was one of the first hires there. He's now at Newcastle United, and his story was great. They were literally going pub to pub to find out about the fans on the ground, speak to them, get them through the doors, and it bore through and it paid off for them
4: just to pick up on what you said a minute ago about you going in to your company and pitching or just telling them mm-hmm. about what you guys have got coming up is that something that you have to push through or were you approached by the rest of the company to like come and tell us what you do
3: no so we have various meetings for a number of reasons involved with different departments and there's one which we have once a, um, once a month which is a, a creative it's called a creative all hands it's a Broad brush, but it's basically a chance for people to kind of be updated on what the company's doing. Creative, not necessarily kind of looking at the bottom line, but looking at what we're doing, what content have we created, what works have we done on campaigns, what's coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of fits in for me. I, I approached them actually and went, this is actually a really good time. We've just done the UVA show, which is quite different. Mm-hmm. We've got the show which we were discussing um, off mic earlier on, um, which relates to Pride, which was one that we've done in person, which we haven't uh, kind of very similar to the setup we've got in this studio, which we've not tended to do before. And then there were some examples as well of just some kind of like well-performing shows like the EA Sports one, which um, is it's not our best performing. It will be very soon.
4: Mm-hmm. And we haven't touched upon the monetization aspect yet. So maybe we should get into that. Yeah, so sure. did you go into this thinking this is something that you could monetize as podcast? Or was it seen very much just as a no,
3: there's, there's no, emotional tool? There's no motivation. I mean, bearing in mind the industry I work in, there's no pressure on me to monetize it we have a kind of pre-roll programmatic running on it just because why wouldn't you you might as well but that's pretty much the only reason why it's why it's there with the idea of it is as a branding exercise if people do want to come on if people listen to this and like i would like to get involved with that and kind of like sponsor in some way then they are more than welcome but no there's um, there's, there's no commercial pressure on me to do that at
5: all use linkedin to promote the podcast too with a newsletter. How has that been in terms of keeping that audience and extending that relationship with your audience outside of the podcast?
3: LinkedIn for us is just, it's our strongest social media tool. We've got a following of I think just shy of 50,000 when it came in, which considering our you know, relative newness as a company, just over a couple of years old, um, is, is strong. Uh, we use it as the prim- primary way that we distribute the podcast apart from just kind of literally going into people's podcast feeds. But the boost that we get from it, we notice a difference. But more importantly, we notice a difference when other people share it. So if you've got a guest on and they push it through their network, you can see the numbers and see the impact that it has. The newsletter side of it was, it was something which I just kind of did on the off chance, like a lot of things, right? You give it a test to see what you can do. I think it was was actually during the um, the closed period where we didn't have um, many shows going out. So I was basically recycling old show content, turning it into written content, and seeing how that did. And the numbers just got, they were doing good. I'm not trying to sound surprised here because I thought it was good content. But newsletters are typically a hard thing to kind of to build and to get um, readership on. Uh, we're up to, I think, newsletter subscribers around 13,000 and reads, depending on the topic, you're talking maybe around like the four to five plus K mark which as a fraction of it is very good. And I was quite surprised by it. I thought you would ask that when I came on, so I actually emailed one of our LinkedIn contacts. and went, I am getting these numbers right, aren't I? <laughs> I'm not going to like, look a bit of a fool there because I kind of misread something. He's like, no, it's just working. <laughs> they don't have a massive impact on the audio version. Mm. It has some impact, but not a huge impact. But it does then just offer us another, another way to kind of like once again, to get value out of this product that we've created. We can also use another smart ways as well. I say smart ways. I'm kind of talking myself up a little bit. So when we did, for instance, the show with um, Jane Fernandez around the Women's um, World Cup, around the same time internally we would created a report about women's football fandom, which we distributed had a separate mark. Well, had a marketing plan for which this was part of it. So when we issued the newsletter as part of that, there was the newsletter is basically kind of like three highlights from the show. So highlight one, highlight two, and then a little. I guess you'd call it an ad unit if you're working in you know, working in publishing, but then create a little space there. Going, oh, if you enjoy this, you might want to download our women's football fandom report, and that was just once another way to kind of add value and make more use of the um, newsletter. And yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's still growing.
5: And have you thought about extending that relationship across other platforms besides LinkedIn? So like other social media or even like subscription platforms?
3: We haven't looked at that necessarily. I mean, we have oh, we have a Twitter following. It is... Rather modest compared to our LinkedIn, I think it's around like three and a half k or something like that. I mean, it's it's fine. It's not the primary way which we kind of engage with our audience, both in terms of the podcast and in terms of us as a company. That's mostly LinkedIn. Basically, if you go on there, it's a really good snapshot of kind of who we are and what we're doing at the moment. So that's the way which we that's the most effective way we found to kind of use them.
4: Just going back to what I was asking earlier about the guests that you have on that are just like really interesting interviews kind of for anyone, regardless of whether you're working in the business of football or not. You've kind of made quite a conscious decision to keep your audience quite focused. Yes. Can you tell us about what you've kind of achieved through that as opposed to trying to open it up to as many listeners as possible?
3: It's an interesting question, actually, because there's kind of a bit of a double edged sword to it and that you have to kind of read between the lines. So the example we had with, um, I mentioned with Darren Eels when he was at Atlanta United, that show did good. When we came out, it did well. It did pretty better than I might have expected. Darren is a great person. He's got, he was very intelligent, really nice stories. Then I forget the date, but maybe six months ago, something like this, um, he moved to Newcastle United, uh, took up a, up a position there. I log on. The next day, and you see notifications, and oh my god, what's happened? And what happened was, as some Newcastle United fans had found the interview with Darren, mm-hmm. and gone, oh my god, this is the guy coming to our club. Listen to what he was doing with Atlanta United. That was great. He really understands the fans. This is really hopeful. And he just kind of taken off, and then this little kind of like a bubble of, um, of little of, of, of Geordie Newcastle fans wow. who absolutely who loved it. Yeah, and the numbers kind of went up. The YouTube numbers we also push off across YouTube as well. They went really high. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's great. But I also appreciate that. I expect the vast majority of those listeners from the second wave
5: mm-hmm.
3: aren't necessarily kind of people we might be doing business with. Mm. But it's nice that they've got it, right? There's no loss to us. I've not had to kind of like you know, pay to get the audience. Uh, so that's fine. But no, going go niche niches. It's tough in podcasts, as you have covered on here before, getting data on who's actually listening is very hard. Mm-hmm. So quite a lot of it is anecdotal. We hear about it from inbounds. We hear about it from members of our team who have gone, oh, I spoke to so-and-so and and listened to this show. Or I was with somebody quite senior at a football club recently and they were like, oh, you've been listening to it quite a bit. I'm like, okay, they might just be unpleasant to me. I don't know. (laughs) But um, the way they talked about it meant you must have at least been paying a little bit of attention and that just kind of showed. Well, if you care about it that much and you've listened to more than just the show that you were on or the show that we were um, talking about you, then I'm pretty sure that there'd be others in that area as well. Yeah, it's... It's not perfect, but the, um, the numbers suggest that it's getting consumed by the people who are interested in some of the maybe the more geeky stuff as well as some of the more broader stuff.
5: Yeah. What's your relationship like with the Sports Social Podcast Network?
3: Uh, Sports Social, they were the initial team that we worked with to kind of get things off the ground. Mm. They were lovely. They were really supportive. I came into I mean, my, my background might be media, but my background is not podcasts. And how they advised on the technology side of things um they're really useful um it didn't, you know, came to a point when we took a little bit of a break and we kind of reassessed what we we're going to do we then took a few more things internally i knew people from my background as well that we could lean on and yeah we, we um i would recommend them to most people if you're looking to get into you know, starting a sports podcast but it was something which we knew that we could just kind of take on a little bit ourselves now
4: have we mentioned about whether or not the show has kind of made a noticeable difference to your sales pipeline? We
3: might not ask that uh, specifically. It's, it's one which is, I just, I, I can't put off my finger on it and mm. go, that was because of us. Yeah. Um, I would like to. Um, I don't know how, if our commission structure might change if it did. That'd be fantastic. But the, we know that there are the kind of people who want to listen to it are listening to it. Mm. And quite often it's, if we work with people and they don't be, they're not someone who we kind of like partner with in the future or partner with in the past, it's just good content. Yeah. And we, I, I, I used I say, I used to work on magazines years ago. And I mean, I appreciate the, the building that I'm sat in as well has advertorial content and there was good advertorial content and bad advertorial content. And we never, I never set out for this to be kind of a wholly commercial project where the idea is, is to, work as a sales tool because it's it's obvious and it can be just crap but with working with so many people who understand editorial values within the company mm-hmm. it's easy for us to do and go okay well what can we do with some and so that's interesting what's the angle maybe there's there's been times there's um a club who i'm working with at the moment who i've been chatting with for maybe about six months and we're going right we're not going to do it now we're going to do it in six months' time because that's more kind of editorially valuable and we can kind of find an angle rather than just kind of talking about something quite generic. Works for them, works for us. And yeah, who knows what might come out the back of it. Some of these things might take... a, it's a start. I was with a club called Tigres who are based in Mexico. Their story is very much around their women's team who are doing phenomenal in Mexico, trying to break into the US. And that in itself is a fascinating story because like, women's football teams in general they are very much kind of focused on their own markets and trying to dominate in those markets. So to be a Mexican team doing very well in your market, then trying to break into probably the most competitive women's football market across the border. It's a bold story, but we've waited on that. And they wanted to wait as well because they had had some uh, English language social um, channels which they were hoping to launch to coincide with it. So we were just kind of working around the times of it. But none, um, none, none of the content or none of the guests have... Uh, Have paid to be on it's not worth it's not worth us doing something like that really
5: with the podcast since launching have you do you feel like you've reached the target that you wanted to reach before starting and has the goal for the podcast evolved since then
3: we're still looking to grow I mean there's always room for the numbers to grow we're not going to hit everybody I don't think we ever will but you know the more the merrier I think the goal which I'm quite comfortable we have got to point if hitting is kind of the caliber of who we're looking to get on and by caliber i don't just mean that you're incredibly senior i remember at the beginning i made the mistake of saying i don't want anybody who wears a tie
1: because it was very much kind of we wanted to focus on
3: the creative yeah. side there which has like certain kind of like stereotypes attached to it and i blew it out of the water because i had one skin i mentioned darren i had him, him on wore a tie one of my best <laughs> one, one of the best guests but also very kind of smart guys like that didn't make sense um in the beginning when I kind of pitched I was like someone who would like to have on is, um, is uh, Fabio Allegri who's a he was probably the most important person in the PSG um, Jordan deal when the kind of those two brands kind of came together and at the start we wouldn't have got Fabio Allegri he would have been he's quite elusive at the best of times but now looking at what we've had on the work we did when we had Adidas on and some of the other guests I'm like perhaps if we went kind of like for the equivalent now we'd probably do it getting david jackson's time from ea was was great he was somebody who as you know, as a fan i was like maybe not specifically that story but the role that a that fifa the video game or now eafc plays in in football so that's the kind of thing we like to go for and yeah we it's you, we're getting more kind of like inbound comments people showing interest people showing interest from brands it's also that thing you mentioned earlier on as well but interest internally
4: mm.
3: of staff going that's useful we can do something with this what can we do? Yeah. How can we uh, use it to kind of like reach our audiences? And it's, it's 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 part of this internal kind of conversation we have as well. So if there are angles internally, then I will speak to certain members of staff and go, We've just done a podcast with a, a major league soccer team. I make sure that our US team know that we've done that. So then they can kind of leverage that and go, oh, Look, whoever they're speaking to in the US at that time, you might want to pay attention to this. Mm. So, there, yeah, we've, we've hit a lot of things I wanted to hit. Still a lot of room to grow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with 30 episodes in, I mean, in terms of podcasts, that's fledgling, isn't it? Yeah.
4: Well, just before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, for people who are maybe doing a similar thing in their own companies, are there a couple of bits of advice that you could give them when it comes to kind of using podcasts as a business sale tool?
3: I mean, I, I'm incredibly lucky, maybe just saying it's because of where I work, but I work in probably what I would consider to be, for me, one of the most interesting areas in football like I've ever since I was was young I was always interested in the media always been interested in football combining the two Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm kind of like short of options Um, but I think there's a there's a creativity and there's there's a need to find the interesting stories Mm. from within whatever that industry might be and they can come from just I'm trying to think of examples from like other industries that might be like completely different. Smart, I have no idea what they might be, but I'm pretty sure if you're really in the industry, you know people who are smart and who are kind of interesting to speak to, who can tap into that. And yeah, I just editorialize it. Don't just kind of go for they will do. Make yeah. sure, make sure there's a there's. I mean, a, a, the as, in terms of like our listenership, I always find this quite interesting. Every month, well, more than I look at our data, probably more than I really should. I have a look at kind of how what the the downloads are every month, and it's about maybe a, a third, maybe a little bit more, depending on the month, our archive shows, and that is always something I think is 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 very useful. So I'm yeah. making it evergreen because the bigger mm. we get, every time you kind of we well, say we might be on show thirty, but we're still getting downloads from show one,
5: mm-hmm.
3: and seeing them them kind of little pick up because you know football ones, the media is very kind of cyclical. You look yeah. through it and go. Okay, so now women's foot people are interested. The women's World Cup's on the way. I'm pretty sure that I will see peaks and downloads for the show we did around the Women's World Cup itself, around the Women's Euro, the one we did around um, what zone did with the Women's Champions League, yeah. and all these things will kind of pick up. And that just kind of means that we're not just relying on the two most recent shows. Yeah, we've got that's the other ones so picking important. up as well.
4: Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, really brilliant to have you on Pod Pod. No, thank you. Thank you.
0: So that was Paul Raymond talking about the Football Co. Business Podcast. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about the way they've approached podcasting as a medium is they've kind of used it as a sort of Trojan horse, effectively, to make contact with the organizations that they want to be partnering with and having conversations with, but who may not necessarily, you know, be as easy to get in contact with. Podcasts are a really nice beachhead for starting those conversations going because people like being on podcasts generally.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. In fact, it, it was really how recent audio started because mm. I was working at The Guardian on their media talk brand for a, a number of years. And when they decided to do a bit of a, a snip of the uh, production department and say, stops making that show, I took it independent. And as soon as I didn't have access to Guardian journalists to make the show every week, we went and reached out to other publications that would have an opinion on media news of the week. So it was renamed The Media Podcast with Olly Mann. And we've been running that ever since 2014. Mm. And from those people on that show, you know, we had the editor of Broadcast Magazine or someone from Private Eye or someone from The Week Magazine would come on. And these are all people who have been clients of Rethink Audio in subsequent years because it was a great place to be able to showcase what a podcast was when a lot of media organizations hadn't really engaged with the medium before. And of course, when you're sitting right there in front of them making the show and and seeing all the bells and whistles, they're more likely to um, ask you how to do one for their company as well. So really, you know, yeah, absolutely. I think podcasting as a Trojan horse for getting more access to people is really, yeah, it's a really great use of it. And, um, you know, the influence doesn't have to be through the podcast to the listeners. It can be very much about having those conversations with sort of high level people.
0: Mm. So I know that Rethink Audio is also producing the two mats for The New European, Yes, which is just recently launched. Is that one of those relationships that came about through a podcast-flavoured introduction?
2: Yeah, totally. Matt Kelly started New European back in 2016, like literally had the idea a couple of days after the Brexit vote and then took it to his bosses at the time. Um, At the time, Matt Klein was also a pundit on the media podcast and we've kept in touch ever Uh since. And When he had the idea to start this show a couple of months ago, he gave me a call straight away and we got chatting and started coming up with this format of him and Matthew Dancona speaking every week about the week in politics, but from the new European angle. It all started really from that kind of personal relationship I'd got with Matt from back in the day doing the media podcast.
0: Yeah, because we've had Tom Denford on the podcast previously, and that was one of his big points, that podcasting as effectively a shop window for your brand in a B2B context can be really sort of powerful. Gideon, from a advertising and marketing perspective, is this something that you see playing a role in the the
1: market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if I were to make it as simple as possible, advertisers and brands always want to reach audiences any which way they can. Uh, podcasting in particular is great, free, intimate, engaging. I mean, I could go on. I think it makes sense that I think the question is, is how much budget is there? That's what I always ask. I do think that part of the reason podcasting has thrived is because a lot of people do it not primarily for the money.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And one of the things I like about podcasting is, particularly for B2B podcasts, you don't necessarily need the actual, you don't need the right people necessarily to download it particularly if it's a b2b podcast you can reach the right people just by asking them on as guests
1: you know yeah that yeah that that's, that's very true actually and I I mean I, at, when we were at the podcast show it was interesting listening to Barclays because I think they were doing something for their mortgage brokers and I can't remember what the size of the audience was but it was very small mm. but they were key people to reach and if the content's good you yeah, people will engage and I, I do think that the the cliche again, the best marketing is word of mouth. Yes, absolutely. Well,
0: speaking of word of mouth recommendations, do please leave Pod Pod a review and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with a friend. That is all we're going to have time for on this week's episode, sadly. But my thanks to Gideon Spanier and Matt Hill for joining me and to football coach Paul Raymond for talking to us. If you want to hear more about the craft and business of podcasting, visit us at podpod.com or sign up to our daily email bulletin. We'll be back next week with more podcasting insight, but until then, goodbye.